0: Welcome to Commercializing Living Therapies with CCRM. In this podcast, we'll be engaging with cell and gene therapy industry experts and influencers and sharing insider insights, information, and trends. CCRM is a leader in developing and commercializing regenerative medicine-based technologies and cell and gene therapies. I'm your host, Crystal Lam, and on today's episode, we have two leaders in the synthetic biology space both of our guests have launched several companies related to their research. Our guests are Dr. George Church and Dr. Peter Zanstra. Dr. Church is a professor of genetics at Harvard Medical School and a professor of health sciences and technology at Harvard and the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. In 1984, Dr. Church developed the first direct genomic sequencing method, which resulted in the first genome sequence and helped lead to the establishment of the Human Genome Project. Dr. Peter Zanstra is CCRM's Chief Scientific Officer, as well as a professor and director of the Michael Smith Laboratory at the University of British Columbia. Dr. Zanstra established the School of Biomedical Engineering at the University of British Columbia, and in 2021 was appointed as a member of the Order of Canada. Our episode will focus on synthetic biology, which Dr. Church defines in his book, Regenesis, as the science of selectively altering the genes of organisms to make them do things they wouldn't do in their original, natural, untouched state. Let's get into the conversation. Welcome to the show. Both of you are really excited to have you here.
1: It's great to be here. Pleasure to be here.
0: Thank you. So I wanted to start off, I'm going to ask you a little bit about the potential of synthetic biology in living therapies. So I wanted to ask each of you about something you're very excited about in this area right now. So we'll start with you, George.
1: Uh, Well, I define synthetic biology fairly broadly, but I I would say some of the cutting edge things that are making their way into clinical trials is uh, using synthetic biology to engineer organs and pigs to be Uh, both uh, more immune compatible with uh, humans, recipients, and also uh, Um, virus-free. That would be my top one. And then a close second would be uh, using synthetic biology for uh, engineering various immunotherapies, um, CAR-T, CAR-NK, CAR CAR, um, uh, macrophage, and so
2: on.
0: Wonderful. And Peter, what are some of the things you're really excited about with synthetic biology and living therapies right now?
2: Yeah, I'm very excited about us moving beyond the current approaches, which really have uh, single moieties associated with them, to what I'll call sense and response systems. And, and that's systems that are, are really designed now to handle the challenges of particular diseases. So far, we've, 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 we've done something with CAR T cells and other cell types, as, as George said. But, um, but to really get start building intelligent systems that are able to respond dynamically to disease as it evolves in our bodies um, is, is something I'm really excited about. We're not there yet, but I think there's great opportunities there.
0: And I think that sort of brings it to the next question, which is, what are some of the areas where you think that we have some concerns with putting synthetic biology together with these living therapies? And George, did you want to take that first?
1: Uh, sure. Uh, well, I'm, I'm concerned about all new technologies, so uh, these no exceptions. You know, obviously, you have the the, the initial ones, which are. Uh, safety and efficacy that the FDA and its siblings around the world are responsible for. And I think they do a great job of that. And I don't think these are particularly exceptional. Uh, then there are other concerns having to do with equitable distribution of high technologies. I was concerned about that for gene therapy until uh, till the latest set of four gene therapies uh, contributed to the COVID vaccines at as little as $2 a dose. So that, that was reassuring. I don't know how that plays out in terms of uh, surgery and cell therapies, but I can uh, imagine that, that it could take a similar trajectory from $2.5 million a dose to $2 a dose, which is what happened with with gene therapies, at least in the cases where you have a very large market. So those are my three top concerns, but we could go on uh, maybe later.
0: Well, I'll definitely ask you about a few of those later on, I think. And Peter, did you have anything in particular that right now you think is a concern for you in this area?
2: Yeah. I mean, I would, I would echo exactly what George said. I think, I think the, the, the biggest one for me is, is exactly how do we start to take really sophisticated technologies and, um, and allow them to be applied as broadly as possible. Um, the, you know, the, the mRNA vaccines are a good example of that. Um, if we can build more sophistication in those types of aspects, then I think, uh, I think it's a pretty exciting time.
0: And I wanted to circle back now, George, you had mentioned about costs, because I know this is something that you have talked about a lot in your career is making things accessible. And so when you mentioned that, it really brought to mind this idea that we're in a place now where we're starting to see the costs, which can be astronomical in this field start to really become a little bit more um, accessible for people. So what are some of the things you think that we can be looking at in the synthetic biology field to make these things more affordable?
1: Well, the typical thing that, that that helps, I mean, sometimes it's, it's radical new technology like multiplexing for, for reading and writing DNA, but uh, I think it's generally making the market larger for a given fixed cost for doing the R&D and the clinical trials. So if your R&D and clinical trials eh, amortized over a bunch of failures as well, it uh, might be a a billion dollars, then you better have, uh, uh, you know, a million or more uh, patients that are going to benefit. So in, 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 the case of, um, cell therapies, that what that may mean, not the jury's still out is less of the personalized therapies and more of the generic, uh, sometimes called allogeneic or universal cell therapies where you've, you've adapted them so that they're, uh, where the immune rejection is at least is not a a problem. And of course we had to face that right up front with xenotransplantation. There's no no chance of making a autologous pig transplant to a human, Uh, but but there is a chance of eventually making one that's highly personalized. But but I think the cost is gonna come down first with a more universal um, cell and organ uh, therapies.
0: Yeah, and I know we've definitely seen that with genome therapies, which you've been very involved in. And so really interesting to see how costs have changed. And Peter, I wanted to give you a chance too to talk about the costs that are involved and how these might be starting to change.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I think one, one of the areas um, related to allogeneic uh, therapies is certainly manufacturing. If we can If we can scale up manufacturing, um, and uh, and really bring down the costs of creating the product that will be in a very important area, um, but but in order to do that, as 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 was recently said, um, we need to think about modularity, which is which is we need to think about how a single manufactured product might be applicable to multiple diseases or large disease populations. So um, part of that, you know, with synthetic biology I think has a great opportunity about putting some of the Personalization or sophistication of um, of the therapy at the business end, so that so that the costs are lower for that, um, whereas the the um, the universality of the manufacturing can be done at scale.
0: And I think that's a really good point, especially because both of you have been very involved in commercialization. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about the commercialization side of things, because when you're looking at the synthetic biology and regenerative medicine, how are we strengthening the ecosystem to make sure that things are accessible and affordable and commercializable? George, I'll start with you. Uh,
1: Yeah. So just to expand on something that Peter brought up is if you can make one drug not only universal from an immune standpoint, but applicable to more diseases. That's obviously going to bring the price down as well. Uh, and I think the 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 best example of that is uh, is things uh, is are drugs aimed at the core uh, pathways of aging. Um, n- not so much about immortality or any of that stuff, but just just aging causes so so many. Uh, fatal diseases or exacerbates a variety of diseases ranging from infectious disease to accidental de- uh, death, uh, to, you name it. So, um, so I think that's one thing that we can do that will help uh, democratize uh, uh, these things. It's a tall order, um, but, but uh, you know I think we suddenly have this input of all these new exponential technologies that are working uh, very well and improving very quickly. Uh, So I think we've got a good chance on it. And and there are a few already uh, going into clinical trials. And Peter, did you want to talk a little bit about that as well?
2: I think commercialization is one of many ways that we can have an impact with our science. I I think uh, I'm excited about the way that it allows and attracts good people, good students, good uh, colleagues to work on complex problems and, and the more activity we have in that area, the more of an ecosystem, as you said, we, we can create. And that ecosystem allows for people to move around and to have a ferment of ideas. So it, it's really about creating um, opportunities for as many people as possible to be involved in, in solving really difficult problems. And, and commercialization is one, one of the ways to do that, for sure.
0: Absolutely. So I'm going to kind of move into a little bit of the more thornier issues that come with synthetic biology and living therapies. And those are some of the ethical concerns. And I think you touched on this a little bit, George, when you were talking about the things that we're doing to prevent aging in this area. And we've had people talk about transhumanism and all of these potential sort of ethical quandaries that come. And so do you think that there are particular guardrails that we need to be putting on these technologies and these um these things and, and if so, what are they?
1: Well, I think we have fantastic guardrails w- w- in embodied in the uh, Fda and, and uh, similar organizations. some um, you know we've touched already upon uh, the the other guardrails uh, having to do with equitable distribution but but yet another that comes up occasionally is that, well, what about you know, overpopulation or something like that, which I think is a bit of a red herring. I mean, uh, uh, partly it's sort of like if you think of it backwards, that if we had uh, a healthier, longer youth, um, would we want to go back? Uh, that's that's another way of looking at the ethical. And to me, that's not an ethical quandary. We would not. Uh, furthermore, there are there will be opportunities, opportunities, uh, that, that, for example, there's increased um, movement of people into cities, and that results in lower fecundity, dropping from, say, about eight children per family on average um, in our ancestors to more like 1.2. 1.2 is implosion, not explosion. And also, the, the, if our opportunities in space are anything like our opportunities in uh, the shipping industry back in the 1600s, um, w- there's going to be a lot of immigration. and so those two forces could result in a need for for more people uh, from And so I, I think it's a little early to be uh, worrying, I mean it's good it's always good to worry, but uh, it's a little early to be judging a, a final decision on that. Uh, so the, uh, the final uh, thing to worry about with, aging in particular is whether uh, people that are highly youthful but but old uh, chronologically may not have the same open minds. But I, I've seen open and closed minds both among the young and the old. Uh, so I think it's it's more, you need to separate out legislation and, and policy uh, terms in terms of outcomes from mechanisms. In other words, there's a whole variety of uh, temptations to 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 legislate on on the mechanisms when we really should be focusing on the outcomes.
0: And that leads me to a follow-up question, which I'll ask you, which is really how do we determine when we're doing these sorts of synthetic bio and living therapy um, interventions, what is taking us into a more dystopian space and what is more just personalized medicine? Because I think people are a little confused about that. Can you speak on that for a second?
1: So so I think another thing that people justifiably worry about our our enhancements um, enhancements either at an ecosystem level or, or individual level. And I think some of the concerns about enhancements we've kind of addressed when we talked about equitable distribution. It's not so much that one person is enhanced, it's relative to other people. If we're all enhanced relative to our ancestors, that's routine, that's accepted and, and ex- generally acceptable. So almost a, a huge fraction of technologies are enhancements. Like, you know, if you want to run faster, you don't have to make better legs. You just get in a car or a jet. Um, those are enhancements. The same thing with, you know, with uh smartphones and, and internet and so forth, those are all enhancements. And the same thing, the, the, the few enhancements that, that won't be solved by physics and chemistry um, have to do with um, living youthful, happy uh, lives, which is mostly biological and uh, being caring and, and thoughtful and, and and various forms of emotional and uh, general intelligence. Um, some of those may come out of uh, uh, of our caring for our elders. We want them to be um, not go into cognitive decline. And in order to do that, we may create a category of uh, therapies, maybe even cell therapies that that uh, are um, reverse or prevent cognitive decline or even enhance cognition um, in order to deal with cognitive decline that then can be used, might be used uh, to enhance cognition. And th- there's a whole set of questions there are a little hard to address in advance, but I think we're going to do it anyway, and, uh, and and that's going to be aided and abetted by uh, very creative um, writers and and screen screenwriters.
0: Wonderful, and Peter, I look forward to talking to you a little bit more too about the ethics of synth- synthetic biology and what your thoughts are in terms of things that we need to think about.
2: Yeah, I mean, maybe I'll add to something that that both you and, and George mentioned, which is something that that I think is really. Important. So far, you know, we've been talking about kind of humans and human disease in isolation, and and I think thinking more broadly about um, humans as part of an ecosystem that are, you know, that are that interact with each other, but also interact with uh, the world around us, and 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 plants, and and societies, and and the earth and the climate, and, and I think that's where. That's where there's both a great opportunity and and an interesting challenge for synthetic biology, which is how do we how do we how do we think about both the impacts and the opportunities of the um, uh, the changes we make across scales. Um, and uh, um, you know, I think I'm I'm an optimist, and I think I think I'm sure George is too. So we we think that there's that those opportunities are are actually quite positive but um but others might worry about some the propagation of some of those uh types of things and, and you see it all from you know um uh, engineering uh um, i don't know mosquitoes to 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 deal with uh, certain things to to all kinds of things and really thinking about how how we start to understand those multi-scale interactions is a very interesting uh place i think
0: Yeah. And I think there's so much that's being done that's really exciting right now. And so I want to sort of shift back to that a little bit, because I know there's everything from, you know, how the mole rat is aging to all of these sorts of exciting things that you've been working on. And so I wanted to ask a little bit about projects in terms of what you're excited about right now and how you're using synthetic biology. And so George, I'll ask you first.
1: Right. Uh, We did... Uh, published on the naked mole rat and the bowhead whale, which are extremely long-lived mammals uh, for for their local clade, Um, and also worked on um, very uh, long-lived humans. But I think actually most of the insights that have led to therapies have come from more conventional cell biology um, and and model organisms and then translating those into uh, gene therapies for aging reversal, um, but the things I'm excited about now, one in particular is, uh, is our ability, we think we now have a recipe for making any um, organism or cell um, resistant to all viruses, uh, a priori, uh, any natural virus, even including some we've never even characterized before. And, and of course, we're all very sick of one particular zoonotic virus, but, but they're, they're, there's a steady stream of them. Um, some of some of the uh, some of them, we were very lucky. They haven't. They didn't uh, go as global as uh, COVID because they were much worse, much more lethal, like Ebola and um, MERS, SARS, and so forth. So um, I think we need to think very carefully about that particular uh, direction. Yeah.
0: And Peter, I know you're working on some really exciting stuff right now. So I would love to talk a little bit about that.
2: Sure. I mean, I mean I think I think what I am really excited about in the lab now is, is really for the first time I feel we can really recreate the human immune system de novo from cells. And that that means including starting to generate the different types of immune effector cells within that system. And and that capability to do that in a controlled way, you know, at scale under defined conditions allows us to have a substrate for uh, you know modifying and manipulating that system. and you know whether it's uh, working with George to make those cells uh, non-infectable by virus or controlling the ratio of, of different types of mature uh, immune cells uh, or other things, I think I think we're just at the starting point of that, but but now having this capability in hand is really exciting.
0: Wonderful. And I think that as we kind of wrap up, I wanted to ask you both if there is anything that you think in particular, that people that are interested in moving forward, these therapies and commercializing these therapies, what is something that you hope that they'll keep in mind? George, did you want to go first?
1: Well, um, another avenue that's becoming quite interesting is our ability to, to regulate development and, uh, um, and, and now we have co- what may be a general system for reprogramming from any cell type to any cell type in various combinations of cells that are getting increasingly um, organized like like organs, but even ha- present the possibility of creating uh, organ systems that never existed before. So I think we have to constantly uh, not... not uh, Dismiss things that seem crazy when you first talk about them. You need you need to embrace the outliers. You need to at least uh, keep them on the table. If you can't think of how to implement them today, uh, keep keep coming back to them because the technologies are changing so quickly that I think that that all of these, um, especially the cellular methods. I mean, uh, when, when I think of the the intelligence of a therapy it's somewhat related to its size so if you have like you know a single atom let's you know or you know like let's or or a small uh, compound like say a general anesthetic it's not that smart uh the person operating it might be um and then you go to bigger molecules and proteins and then uh viruses and finally, when you get the cells, they're incredibly smart. They do chemotaxis. They do uh, extravasation across uh, the, the endothelial uh, uh, layers. Um, they, and they can do extremely complicated logic and, and differentiation. So I think that's where we need to really embrace that, that vision, among others.
0: I think that's a really great vision. And Peter, what would you like to see people consider in the future as we move forward with these commercializations?
2: Yeah, I really, I mean, I really like that last comment by George, because we've been thinking about this a lot too, which is how how do you you really take advantage of the unique properties of cells and their capabilities? I I think in, in cell therapies, we've only just scratched the surface of that so far. We've we've we haven't really uh, embraced the full capabilities. And 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 so my you know my closing comment is really to to students and postdocs and and people in this area. Um, you know uh, earlier we talked about enhancements like cell phones and and airplanes. Um, you know I think I think we're at a stage now where we need lots of people to come and help thinking about how to solve these problems using the substrates of biology and, and uh, cells and molecules and tissues. And, and, and it's, it's going to be an area where um, there's many, many years of exciting work to do. So I, I would encourage everybody to, 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 to join in.
0: Well, I think that is a very good closing comment. And I want to thank both of you for joining me today. I really appreciate you coming in to talk about these really interesting topics. So thank you.
1: Thank you. It gives us a chance to get out into the world and uh, without the, the long commute all the way to various places. So, yeah, thank you.
2: It's awesome.
0: So thank you so much. I'm Krista Lam, and you've been listening to Commercializing Living Therapies with CCRM. If you liked today's show, please be sure to share it with others. You can find more episodes at ccrm.ca podcast or wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you have a question or comment about the show, email us at podcast at ccrm.ca or reach out to us on social media at ccrm underscore ca. Our hashtag for social media sharing is ccrmpodcast. Thanks for listening.